0: Now, it's time for the Cybersecurity News bite with Jim Guckin. Cybersecurity News bite episode number 59. For June 5th, 2023, new backdoor malware for intelligence gathering, a new ransomware that exhibits some striking similarities to an older one, Discord admins hit with a malicious bookmark, and Move It Transfer has a zero-day mass exploit in data theft. Welcome back to the show, everyone. I am Jim Guckin, your host with the the mostest. You know, I just... we'll see how it goes. (laughs) Anyway, for our first story, it's actually a very interesting story. uh, Because it is a new backdoor malware uh, specifically made for uh, kind of gathering intelligence on your network. Uh, And this actually comes from the Camaro Dragon Group, which honestly sounds kind of a little bit like a high school motorhead gang, Uh, but they are definitely a lot more dangerous than that. In fact, they are a Chinese nation-state group. Um, They have other backdoor applications, but this one specifically is for intelligence gathering, meaning they get the application on your computer, or on your network, and then it sees what other information it can kind of find uh, all about. So. It's interesting, though, because Camaro Dragon kind of overlaps with another threat actor who's out there uh, named, once again, I swear this is a real one, Mustang Panda. Sounds like the rival to that first Motorhead gang that is out there. Uh, Once again, Mustang Panda is a known state-sponsored group. They are from China, and they've been active since at least 2012, so, you know, that's a lot in the modern day world. Uh, anyway, this new uh, malware for intelligence is actually called Tiny Note, and I'm refusing to make a joke there. Uh, the interesting thing is, it is, you know, programmed in the Go language, so it's a Go-based malware. Uh, it functions as a first-stage payload. So what it does is, is like, like I said, it basically just finds out what's going on on your network and builds from there. So it. Does basic machine enumeration sees what out there sees what's running. Um, it can also execute commands via PowerShell or Go routines. Uh, and what is really you know what caught my eye on this one, when it comes to malware is it does a lot of things to keep itself on that machine. So if you look at it, it's how do I say this? It does multiple things to establish. Re- You know, um persistence on the machine. It's redundant, persistent task that it does. Uh all meaning that if you find one of them, then there's a good chance that they can at least find some other way to keep on the machine. So, you know, it's you find path one, but path two and three are still there, so that's that's dangerous. Uh, but that's kind of where we are now. Um, where they want to make sure they maintain access to that host regardless of what a uh, cyber expert might find. So this is what we get out of this. This is incredibly something that um, you're going to find more in the upcoming versions of malware as they come out, because it's, you know, maintaining persistence on a machine. Make sure that you really own that machine, unless you completely format it. And then we've talked about in the show many times the ability to kind of segment that off and have the um, firmware infected or the core system that you can't kind of format off of hardware and in, in, you know in the you know in in the driver level like that stuff's there and it's going to be something that we have to continue to deal with on the cyber front now the interesting thing is right now you don't have to worry about this malware unless uh you happen to work in southeast or any east asian embassies um Indonesia, looking at you, uh, because specifically this antivirus uh, or this malware targets the antivirus uh, from Indonesia called uh, Smadov, S-M-A-D-A-V, probably butcher that name. Uh, but that is, you know, what it's specifically going after and uh, where they have found this is actually in a PDF uh, that is named PDF underscore contacts list of invitated Diplomatic members, that's the way they said it. I'm just reading the way it is, Uh, but it is very interesting that, you know, why it's specifically being used in uh, this kind of environment. Like I said, it's going to continue to to be problematic Um, because it's it's the way things kind of work. And that's why I find this very dangerous. Because and I, and I one of the big things you know I talk about on the show is the idea that yes, right now you may not be uh, a Southeast or East Asian embassy, uh, but these tactics are the ones that tend to get picked up over time uh, by these kind of uh, threat actors who are out there. They will they will take and they will build off of this environment. They will build off this code, and you'll start seeing it be leveraged elsewhere so while right now yeah you, you don't have to worry about it you're absolutely fine but there's gonna be a time coming in which you have to look out for this so start kind of looking into it now be aware of this kind of multi-layered uh, approach to making sure they maintain persistence on the machine because it's here and it's not going anywhere now second story here really interesting because Trend Micro researchers have discovered a brand new ransomware family called BlackSuit. Uh, and right now, this BlackSuit is targeting Windows and Linux users, mostly in the Linux user environment. It's ESXi. It's VMware. We kind of know this is kind of the the repertoire for these targets right now. If you're able to encrypt the VMware host, then chaos can reign free. Uh, but there is an interesting twist here, which is there's a lot of similarities with a previous group called Royal Ransomware. Now, if you're not familiar with Royal, let's go through a real quick back, uh, giving you a heads up on what they are. So ra- Royal Ransomware was first observed back in early 2022. The group uh, that created it was called Dev0569. Uh, uh, they are highly sophisticated, uh, quickly evolving. They're, they're, they're changing their tactics every so often. Um, And to show you how much of a threat they are, back in November of 2022, so not that long ago, uh, they had 43 victims in November. uh, And they demanded between, on the low end, $250,000, up to $2 million per compromise. And their whole thing is, obviously, money. Um, They went extortion, they tack large enterprises, because obviously your mom-and-pop store is not going to have $250,000, so they're going after the big fish. Um they often got a lot of comparisons to the bigger groups out there like Conti and Ryuk, uh, and to put it away, I believe they probably have splintered or some members of the, um, Royal Ransomware group came from, uh, one of those two groups. They have similar tactics and usually you learn your tactics and you bring it to the group with you. Um, but the interesting thing here is um, when they, when it came to Royal Ransomware, uh, rather than the normal method nowadays, which is, you know, ransomware as a service, uh, Royal actually purchased themselves um, direct access into corporate networks through, uh, you know, the initial access brokers, the people who get access to the network, but then don't do anything with it. Their whole job is to kind of sell it to someone else. Um, so that's what they did. They, they went to these initial access brokers, they got access to these networks, and then they infected it. Uh, they managed their attacks all internally, um, and they kind of used the, the traditional double extortion tactic, which means they encrypted your data, they then also, well, before they encrypted the data, technically, they took it off your network, then they encrypted the data, and then they threatened to make that data public, hoping to force you to pay, Um and then, if you did pay, well, obviously, they gave you the encryption key, and they it was a win-win for them either way. So, that is all royal ransomware. So, BlackSuit, uh, which is the new ransomware they found, uh, they looked at both a Windows 32-bit version and an ESXi 64-bit version. That's the Linux version. Um, and when it encrypts stuff, it just uh, appends the .blacksuit, which is where it gets its name from, to the encrypted file. So you know, windows.exe.blacksuit. That's the encrypted version of it. And just like most normal ransomwares, it leaves a ransomware note with, you know, information about how they did it, uh, a unique ID for the victim so that you can identify yourself to the group, uh, a Tor chat link site, which, you know, is really for communication on on getting your data back, um, and a link to their data link website, which, you know is kind of the the offhanded threat, saying, hey, if you do not pay, we'll make you public on this site. Now, at the time that I was looking through this and doing the research, there's only one victim currently on their website, so not huge at this point. Now, I want to tie these two groups kind of back together. Black Suit uses a lot of command line arguments like those in Royal Ransomware. Um... Though it looks like it's evolved because some of, there are some additional arguments that aren't in the previous Royal, but that could just be a, you know, an upgrade to the system. Both malwares use a comparative intermittent encryption technique. Uh, they include OpenSSL's AES encryption algorithm. They have similar formulas for the encryption and numbers they use when comparing file size. So a lot of the core ransomware encryption stuff is all kind of the same here. Now, when comparing the source code uh, in the 64-bit sample, so the, the Linux or slash ESXi sample, um, there is about 98% similarity in the functions that are used. There is 98.9 in the bin diff-based jump statements and 99.5 in its blocks. So I'm not a programmer, but that seems almost the same exact program But kind of gives those vibes of copying my homework but just make some slight changes so the teacher doesn't know. Um, Now, a comparison of the code used in the 32-bit windows example uh, exhibits about a 99.3% resemblance in basic blocks, a 93.2% in used functions, and 98.4% in its jumps based on bin diff. Which seems a little more like they've changed the homework, but it still seems like the entire base is on there. And this, you know, this could be the same group, being that so much of it's the same. But you have to remember, groups splinter all the time. They take their data, they move elsewhere, they do all this other fancy stuff on the background. But at the same time, we've talked, groups splinter all the time. You, you lose members, and they kind of take the code that they knew, and they kind of just redo that. We, we've seen that with similar ones, uh, like Conti. When Conti went down, there was a lot of groups that came up that pretty much used Conti and built on it, to make it their own. So, you know, uh, keep an eye out for this, especially if you're a large enterprise that might be prone to extortion. Uh, this group out there is going to make that just miserable for all of us. Uh, but they're using the same code, which means, from a security standpoint, if you're well protected against the royal ransomware, y- you probably got some things in place for the new one. Though I'm sure they will change their command and control servers. Uh, so that will change, but a lot of the same detections, a lot of the same um, coding alerts work. So that's that's a win. Now, in the whole fun of innovative ways in which you can take over someone's Discord server, uh, this, this is it. Uh, so uh, some, or I would say several, Discord communities were hit, especially if that Discord community focused around crypto. Uh, And that wasn't really necessarily to try to steal crypto uh, as much as you would think, um, but I guess they thought that they could fool these people a little bit better. So anyway, this starts not with the users of the Discord forum, but the admins of the Discord forum. Uh, They were tricked into running some uh, malicious JavaScript code that was designed to look like a bookmark. Uh, And how they did this is a masterclass in... I guess how they trick someone into running a malicious bookmark. Uh, so they were they were contacted by a reporter uh, who wanted an interview for them, and you know they this reporter worked for a um, crypto focused news outlet, um, and they sent you know the the admins who they wanted these interviews from uh, a link to their official Discord server. Now, to join this official Discord server for this. Uh, crypto-focused news outlet, they need to complete verification steps to kind of get access and validate they are who they say they are. And for some reason, this involved dragging a button from the phony crypto news Discord server to the bookmarks bar in their web browser. How this is supposed to validate you, I have no idea, but this is what they did to people and it worked. Um, They were then instructed to go back to Discord.com and then click the new bookmark to complete the verification process. Now, in that bookmark file was a snippet of JavaScript, which grabbed the user's Discord token. So, For those of you who may not be familiar, when you log into a website, your computer is given a token. It resides on the computer. And this tells the server, rather than having to put your password in over and over again, that hey, this is is who I am, Uh, this is me, I validate who I am. And it can just check. It says, hey, if that token's still there and still valid, we're good. Let's go. Uh, and so it grabbed the, the user's token, which is their... their Not their username and password, but the fact that they authenticated. And used it to send um, this token to the malicious hacker's website. Then what I think is kind of genius is they waited a bit to use this stolen token. Usually they, you know a couple of hours when they thought that, hey the admins probably asleep now. Now, they then loaded that token onto their computer and went to the Discord server, which then saw the token was there and authenticated that, hey, they are the admin of the server. So let's go ahead and let them in. So now that they were admin, the first thing they did was change the server's access controls, meaning they kicked out anyone who would have the authority to stop them. Uh, So, yeah. So if you were an admin other than the one they hacked, you were gone. Uh, They removed all the team members from the website. Boom. So they were the only one who could control anything. Then, in a clever move, they posted an announcement as the admin, saying, hey, we have an exclusive airdrop or NFT min event or some other way to make money uh, that they're going to pitch to their Discord members. Uh, But once again, remember, this is not the admin. This is the hacker pretending to be the admin. Um, And then they pretty much let the... uh, People click that link, and then, hey, if you want to get this airdrop or this NFT, uh, you have to link in your crypto wallet so that you can get it. Um, And then, for some reason, it asked for unlimited spending, and people clicked it. Uh, And then it drained that person's crypto wallet of anything valuable in their accounts. Um, Now, the interesting thing about this is because they have the token... They obviously can't lock out the admin they have access to, but everyone else is gone. So that admin needed to be aware of what was going on, log out, log back in, which would then invalidate the token that the scammer had, and then they could kind of restore the process. Um, If the admin changed their password, once again, that would change the token and they would move on. So a very uh, interesting way of attacking the crypto lovers out there who might have crypto discords, uh, just be aware, even if the admin's posting stuff, j- just just be cautious. And, and what I would always say is, is see if this is the normal posting behavior of that admin. If all of a sudden, you know, they typically post between, let's say, 6 a.m. and 6 p.m., and all of a sudden it's like midnight and they're posting, be a little suspicious of that. Um, but, you know, a pretty clever way to steal some crypto money from people Obviously, all to make money from the hacker's point of view. Uh, but, I mean, I understand how they did it. I still don't understand why copying a bookmark from a Discord into my browser would validate me in any way. I haven't seen the language. Maybe there's something fancy there. I don't know. Uh, but that that's not a way to validate yourself. That, that, would, that would be red flags to me. But maybe, you know, once again, security guy. That might be just the way I view things. So, Be wary if you have a crypto discord or any, I mean, really, this is the year for crypto uh, scams. So just be cautious out there uh, because you never know what some evil person is going to do. In one of the biggest uh, kind of alerts of vulnerabilities out there that you might have seen, uh, Moveit had a big zero day mass exploited data theft on their application. Uh, and it's only for the MoveIt Transfer, which is a file transfer so- uh, software developed by Ipswich, which is a subsidiary of the U.S.-based Progress Software Corporation. Uh, and it's used to pretty much securely transfer files between business partners using SFTP, SCP, and http based uploads. And this can be offered as on-prem or cloud-based. Um, now, if it's on prem, obviously, the customer manages it. If it's cloud based, the developer manages it. Well, this is tracked as uh, vulnerabilities tracked as CVE 2023 34 362. There was no CVSS score when I looked this up. Um, but on our website, if you go to cybersecuritynewsbyte.com, you can kind of uh, see the uh, impacted versions, which is uh, Move It Transfer 23, all of that version, uh, Move It Transfer 20. 20- 22.1.x, uh, 2022.0.x, 2021.1.x, and 2021.0.x. Uh, and there are fixed versions of it now, and there's some documentation you can find. All of it, once again, available on cybersecuritynewsbyte.com uh, to find out what ver- versions there is. But what was interesting about this was the type of attack. So move is obviously a file transfer device, um, but the vulnerability was a SQL injection and it could allow an unauthenticated attacker, I meaning they didn't have to have access or anything, just just asking it, um, the, the web server, to gain access to the MoveIt database. Now, an attacker from there could infer information about the structure of the contents of the databases. Um, once you kind of understand how the databases may be laid out, then you can execute commands that could alter, delete, or copy, or download all of that data. Now, uh, This vulnerability was uh, exploited using uh, unpatched systems, and it could occur with both HTTP or HTTPS. So, security there was not the vulnerability that would solve things. So, who and how long it would, uh, who did it, we don't know right now. It's not attributed to any particular group. We're not sure how long the vulnerability uh, existed before it was found by them, but it's kind of the way it is. So what's the fix? One is to move to a version that doesn't have that vulnerability. Once again, all that's on the website, or you can just look it up, just do move it, transfer, and you'll find everything you need. Um, The fix of it, though, developers warn that that admins should block traffic to 80 and 443 on a public server. Uh, But, just some things you need to know about that. That prevents external access to the web UI. That prevents uh, some move it automation tasks from working. It blocks some APIs. Uh, It prevents the Outlook move it Plugin transfer from working, but those may, may be better than having all of your data leaked. Um, they also recommend that you check the uh, C move it transfer slash www root folder for any unexpected files. Uh, this includes backups or large file downloads, because that might mean one of two things either that the threat actors have already stolen your data or they are in the process of doing so. Now, until you get the patched version, uh, it is strongly advised that your organization shut down move it transfers, perform any thorough investigation and logs, uh, make sure the server is clean, all this before you actually apply the patch to the server. Um, but this is a big one because there's a lot of organizations that use this. It was a zero day, and zero days in themselves are scary, meaning that you know, the organization has yet to be able to patch it. But this was a zero day that was already being widely exploited on the on the internet for stealing data, all of this uh, in the hopes that, you know, they got away with something. So very dangerous out there. So if you have these, take these offline, do whatever you have to do, protect yourself uh, until you can patch it and make sure that even when you patch it, you're patching a version that you know is somewhat clean. All right, everyone, thank you so much for listening. Make sure you check out our website, cybersecuritynewsbyte.com. It contains all of my show notes and links for the stories where I got this from. Uh, feel free to contact me, uh, me at jimgocken.com, or you can visit my website, Uh Make sure you, you, you find us on whatever podcasting site that you use. We're on most of them. Um, catch you next week. Make sure you stay safe online. Have a good night. You've been listening to the Cybersecurity News Byte with Jim Guckin. Learn more about our show at cybersecuritynewsbite.com.